Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Good afternoon and happy Black History Month. My name is uh, Fred Blackwell. I'm the CEO of the San Francisco Foundation. And I, for one, am uh, very excited about today's conversation about Black women uh, leading in the Bay Area. Um, I'm not going to say a whole lot uh, because we've got a fabulous panel and um, a moderator for you today. But I just wanted to uh, say that this body of work is something that the foundation has had a longstanding uh, commitment to. Uh, and really today's conversation and the broader work in general holds special meaning for us at the San Francisco Foundation because uh, the work, work that we do to support uh, women of color who are leading in the Bay Area is actually led by four fantastic women of color inside the foundation. So feeling a great deal of responsibility to deliver for them uh, today. Um, you know, we uh, support this work, as I said, as a, as a broader body of work at the foundation. And uh, in fact, we have some exciting announcements that we're going to be making later on about the, the work that we're doing and how we're going to continue uh, to support it. But before jumping into the program, really just wanted to uh, make two acknowledgments. One is I just want to acknowledge and thank all of the uh, elected leaders that are on the panel and in the audience uh, today. Really appreciate your participation with us today and uh, look forward to the conversation. Uh, and also want to uh, acknowledge our Bay Area Leads donors uh, at the San Francisco Foundation. We create a fund uh, to support the foundation's leadership and advocacy work around equity a few years ago. And uh, it's with that support that uh, programs like this uh, are made possible. And so just want to uh, acknowledge those donors. Uh, and now what I want to do is turn it over to uh, the foundation's chief of staff, Randy Howard, who's going to be uh, moderating uh, the conversation. Uh, Randy is my partner in crime. Uh, looking forward to uh, this conversation. Uh, and Brandy, I will turn it over to you. Thank you so much, Fred, and thank you for that introduction. I um, thank all of you for being here and spending this hour with us today. Um, this is a very important and timely conversation. Uh, we want to just, before we really get started, please to just um, be thankful. I'm thankful to moderate this conversation with these amazing Black women leaders on this stage. Um, and I also just want to thank, you know, as Fred said, our foundation donors who have supported this work um, for many, many years and the work that we continue to do with the Commonwealth Club on its programs. If you do are interested in any of the conversations that we've had um, previous with the Commonwealth Club, you can log on to their website at www.commonwealthclub.org and you can go back and look at these amazing conversations. So now that we got those logistics out the way, I'm ready to really get into a conversation. Um, and this is a, like I said, very timely and very important conversation um, because if we know historically, and we cannot, we'd be remiss to not talk about historically the way Black women have led in the civic and political spaces um, for many, many um, years. And if we go any further back, um, because this is Black History Month, I would say for centuries, have really led for freedom, liberation, for not for ourselves, for our families, our communities, but actually for all. And since 2018, we've had a record number, record number of Black women who have launched campaigns at every level. We now have 23 Black women who are members of the House of Representatives and eight that are leading in the U.S. top 100 cities as mayor. Um, we can speak very clear, you know, really can and bring close to home uh, Kamala Harris, who's come from the Bay and now at the highest branch of executive office. We can talk about Barbara Lee, who unprecedentedly have just made 
history and really um, embody what leadership is and understanding her racialized leadership as a black woman to still lead and bring everyone along on the journey to liberation and freedom. And then I would be really remiss not to speak to our own, and I would say part of the SFF family, Mia Bonta, who actually had been a 20 year gap between Barbara Lee and Mia Bonta. So Mia Bonta is still blazing this trail, but that gap of 25 years let us know it's still a lot of work to do. And these four women on the stage will really talk about their journey. We'll um, take a Sankofa moment because we want this uh, an opportunity for you to look back, to bring in and evoke the other black women who have inspired you um, to this state, to the place you are today and through your journey. And we'll just talk about what is it, what is your experience? What do you need from us to show up so that you continue to show out for us in the platforms that you have? Um, and then help us to call us to action on how we can continue to support not just you and your leadership, but the movement that goes beyond all of us. So again, thank you so much for being here. And I will jump right into um, the conversation that we're gonna have today with BART Board Director Latifah Simon, the Emeryville um, City Council Member, um, Courtney Welsh, California Assembly District 20 candidate, Jennifer Esteem, and Oakland Mayoral candidate, Alyssa Victory. Um, so before we really get into the conversation and I ask my first question, I wanna remind everyone that well, this is gonna be a conversation, that if you have questions, please put them in the chat. If you have them for me, for the guests, you put them in the YouTube chat and we will answer them throughout um, the program and definitely have time set aside at the end to do so. So we're gonna jump in and I would like this to be a question that we each one of you get take some time to answer. Um, and this is again, that moment of, I would love for you to really think about your journey and share your journey, um, share what has inspired you to use um, politics as your platform to lead um, from and use this as a moment to evoke the names of the women, particularly the black women who has um, inspired you and guided you to and through uh, where you are today. Um, and I will actually, I will tell us, we'll, let's start with Alyssa. We'll go to Jennifer, Courtney, and then Latifah. Thank you uh, for the intro. Thank you for having me here. I'm so honored to be a part of this panel and event with so many powerful Black women who are leading and who actually have inspired my journey. So I'm honored to be now speaking alongside them. I am Elisa Victory. I am from Oakland, representing Oakland always. Um, Oakland is what inspires my public service journey and my journey to public office. I began serving with my community in Oakland through our church when I was in middle school and seeing just the need for people to have basic food access or clothing or hygiene supplies. And this was decades ago in the city of Oakland. And I continued serving as a youth leader. And it's really been youth organizations that have provided space and leadership training and development for me to know how to serve at any age that I've been. Um, my first job was with Oakland Youth Together doing education in terms of ethnic studies and our school system funding and gave me the language of social justice and helped me to be able to talk about inequity and talk about race and talk about racial justice. And I've really continued in that same spirit, helping serve at my college campus, doing sexual violence prevention work, doing educational access for students like me as a first-generation college and graduate student. I know that 
it is not hard, or excuse me, I know it's not easy to navigate or to even fund an education and have access to those resources. And so any space I've been in, been able to break into, I'm trying to break it open further for other people that look like me, that come from Oakland, that have similar experiences to be able to access them as well. And I've continued that journey as now a civil rights attorney practicing in criminal justice, as well as workers' rights. Um, so it's been just the experiences and all the people that have poured into me and showed me how to give back from whatever place I was in, whatever access that I had. And I'm really happy to be here on this panel again, sharing some of my own experiences and learning from my peers. Thank you. Jennifer, you want to share your journey and evoke those names? You know, we really want to be, you know, we're in Black History Month. You know, we're going to use this as an icebreaker to come out, but we're going to break out. Um, and really evoke um, those names and those spirits and energies of the legacies that we're building and the shoulders we're standing on. So please call those into space. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. You know, I am a registered nurse. And uh, when I got out of nursing school, there was a woman, Marjorie Davis, who took me to the director of nursing at San Francisco General Hospital. She walked me to the executive suite, knocked on the door and demanded that I be hired. And I was like, what is going on here? I was uh, shocked because there weren't any permanent staff who were black people working in the psychiatric unit, the psychiatric emergency room in San Francisco General Hospital, a hospital that has historically served our black community in San Francisco. And that was the beginning of my journey. Um, I've been there 12 years and several years ago, I got radicalized when my clients were gonna be evicted. And I say I was radicalized because I was a single mom for the majority of my journey as a nurse. I became a nurse because I was a single parent. My mom, Lorraine Judson, was a registered nurse who retired from the city of New Orleans Health Department and also from the VA hospital. And I saw that no matter what was happening, we had stability because she had stability. And my clients came to me and let me know that their stability was in question, that they were going to be evicted for a policy decision. And it turned into a huge public battle that I waged to protect their housing. And uh, as a result, I became the vice president of organizing for my union, SEIU 1021. I helped to write legislation called Mental Health SF and also put on the ballot a $150 million tax measure that was taxing excessive CEO income, first of its kind in the nation, progressive tax on CEOs and learn so much through that process. But what I really have to lean on is that within the ancestry of my family legacy, um, my great grandfather, six times removed, is Toussaint La Overture, the first black person to lead a slave revolt successfully and eradicate the French from Haiti. So standing on the shoulders of giants Knowing that we must fight oppression is something that is inside of my bones and my blood. And, you know, it is just, it's where we are. So now, fast forward to living in an unincorporated area in Alameda County. I've been appointed to serve on the Alameda Health System Board of Trustees and feel it's as though it is an incredible privilege to be a registered nurse working and also be serving in the backside on the systems level instituting policy, serving as the chair of the finance committee of a billion dollar budget of a health system that manages four hospitals and thousands of health workers. 
when I saw COVID devastate my community, I knew it was the moment for me to step up, answer the call, and put my hat in the ring and say, I am going to try to implement policy in a bigger way so that we can benefit all the people in our community. And I am just so grateful and honored to be here today with these powerful women and to be able to speak about the journey that has begun and the journey that is continuing. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Um, before we circle um, over to Courtney, I wanna just circle right really quickly to Alyssa um, because we wanna make sure that as we do this in traditional African culture, we have to close our circles. Um, it's really important that we never leave a circle open. Um, and so I wanna circle back to Alyssa um, to just give her you know, a few more moments um, on the stage to invoke the names of those who have inspired you through your journey. Um, because that's a way, that's also our way of giving honor to the ancestors in our kind of virtual pouring of libation. So. Thank you, Brandy. And thanks for calling me in to make sure that I honor the folks that have poured into me and name them specific. I have to mention my mother, Karen, who raised me by herself along with my younger sister. My mother was a preschool teacher, so she was my first teacher. She made sure that I had extra education and knowledge, especially of Black history and of Black women's history at home, in addition to my public school ed. And also my grandmother, who was a nurse, um, who taught us a lot about, you know, being able to take care of ourselves at home, having really basic, like, first aid trainings as a kid, um, and who poured a lot of just her stories from going up in the Deep South and dealing with a lot of racism and hatred and, you know, why my family migrated over to California a few generations ago. I definitely want to shout out the Black women who really put me on their shoulders and helped me move from college to law school. I am a first generation in my family, didn't have anyone in my family who knew what it was like to go through financial aid or even applying to these schools or getting letters of rec. But I had four Black women who literally put in their money and who took me shopping and made sure that I had a suit so that I could go to interview for law school jobs. Edwina Welch, Ebony Williams, Anne Briggs Addo. They and Antigone Blackwell um, all poured into me and made sure that I, you know, wouldn't wasn't going to be judged or looked down upon because I could not afford to buy my own suits or things like that in law school. And those are small things that other people have never, you know, questioned or asked about. But they they didn't ask me if I wanted it. They just took me and said, "We're going to take you out, have a talk, and we're going to take you shopping." And I that was just a beautiful experience to see people who just know my leadership and have have paired their own expertise and their own willingness to pour back into me. Thank you thank so you. thank you so much, yeah. Alyssa. That's that's really critical as we continue to talk about um, what it means to be um, a black woman leader and um, in the political space. So thank you so much for adding that. Courtney, I would love for you to um, share your journey um, to this platform and also those who have carried you. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm really honored to be a part of this panel. And I, you know, I was thinking about, you know, my journey and it's like what really inspired me to get involved in public service and I mean, honestly, it was just exhaustion. I was tired. Um I was battling housing unaffordability like so many of us are dealing with today and um six, almost seven years ago now, me and my oldest son had to temporarily relocate to San Diego 
to stay with my grandmother because we couldn't find anything affordable in the city in which I was born and raised, Oakland. And I just took a moment. It, it was personally frustrating. But then when I really sat down and thought about it and then also witnessed how the tent communities were just exploding with people day after day, just growing by hundreds of people day after day, week after week. I thought about with someone like me who has the privileges and the access that I have, if I'm struggling, what does it look like for folks who don't have the same access, the same education, the same income? If it's hard for me, what do you think is going on with anyone who would you take away any of those privileges? So that really just inspired me to want to, one, move back home and and fight for my community and fight for our right to stay here, fight for our right to be here, fight for equity, fight for stability, and really just seeing how it was disproportionately impacting the Black community and not just our ability to organize politically, but just on a very personal level, our social networks were being torn apart, where typically you are growing up and you've got your family so close to you. A lot of us were brought up with cousins and grandparents and aunts and uncles within walking distance. And now folks are being scattered throughout the Bay Area, the state, some folks are having to leave the state and seeing how that was just impacting so much of our support systems that allow us to go to the next level. I knew that I just couldn't allow that to happen. Also for me personally, wanting to know that I'm doing all that I can to make sure I'm leaving my community in a better place that I found it. But also I'm fighting for my children and children like mine and being able to tell them, this is what advocacy looks like in real time. You must stay involved with your community. You must fight for your community. You must fight for equity. You must fight for everyone. And really just letting them know that they have a mother that cares about the type of community that they grow up in. And speaking of support systems, like having my family, my mother, Helena, who is a graduate of Merritt College, who's been an early childhood educator for over 40 years now. She might get mad that I'm dating her, but she's been very involved um, and also instilled in me, you know, hard work, entrepreneurship. Why is it important to have an education, get education in whatever way it's presented to you? My father, Horace, is so important for our Black men to support Black women and having a father that supports a, a very ambitious Black daughter is very important for me. Um, my grandmother, I have one living grandparent left, and her, she's always supported me. Even as a little girl, she called me chairman of the board, and you've got to speak that into your kids. And she wasn't wrong. She always said, I knew whatever you uh, were going to do, you were going to be somebody. And she's always told me that. And having her pour that that love and that expectation into me, I felt um, really gave me the confidence and the, the attitude that I need to move throughout these spaces. And also just outside of my immediate biological family, my godmother, Allison, who um, has always been active in her community in Richmond and always a part of my support system from when I was a very little girl um, 
you know, I have such a wonderful support system to uplift me and um, really uh, when it came to definitely this past campaign um, for city council, which was somewhat unexpected because it was um, brought up because we had a city council member that resigned. It wasn't something that was planned um, in advance like a lot of campaigns are. Um, my family just said, hey, you want to do this? We're, we're behind you. We support you. And um, it was an opportunity for me to um, serve my community in a way that I hadn't had an opportunity to do so before. Emeryville hadn't had a black city, uh, black woman city council member in 34 years. So it was an opportunity to diversify, not just by race, but socioeconomically, also geographically. So um, I am really happy that um, I've had them behind me on this journey. And I'm, you know, looking forward to really pushing forth great policies in, in this new role that I'm in now. Thank you so much, Courtney. I won't say much and pass this over to Latifa. Courtney, congratulations on your election. Really, I mean, I think for all of us, um, not everyone on the panel, we can say that we've run a race and it's exhausting. Um, and it, it really requires something so much deeper than a hubris to run a race being a black woman um, in a space and in spaces that were not designed uh, for for us. Um, so congratulations and really to the sisters on the panel, thank you all for running. It is, you, it, it's, it's like so different from the work that we've done in our lives where we're working for people um, in the pursuit of people. And yes, that is what public office is, but to go out with your hands on your hips and say, I actually can make a fundamental difference I believe that my ideas have merit and I want deeply to be in service and believe in me. That is a whole other. Um, and, you know, I'm so lucky and blessed to be in a community and in the Bay Area where I got to see women right in front of me do that. Um, you know, Ella Hill Hutch, who was also um, uh, an elected she served on the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco. She was also on the BART Board of Directors in the 70s. And she sat with my grandmother in my grandmother's Lakeview living room, and they talked politics, and they no one had a cell phone, as you know, but they would call Diane Feinstein. I'm sitting on the floor playing and remember um, the grandiose vision of these Black women to try to create a desegregated San Francisco, not a South, not a Alabama, not a Mississippi, but trying to ensure that Black children who were then in systems or Black men could get jobs um, with union workers. Um, I, I was blessed enough to work and live um, and breathe around um, so many women. My aunt, Damira Ahmad, was uh, one of two women amongst a very small group of men and women who led the student strike at San Francisco State who forever changed the lexicon of how we think about ethnic studies and learning and understanding the, the road of oppressed people in this country within academia. You know, I um, was raised by a mother, a single mother, who struggled to keep me centered and I was off kilter most of my childhood and ended up in 
the juvenile justice system and ended up in and out of school, I landed at an institution called the Young Women's Freedom Center that saved my life and that taught me so clearly that the pedagogy of the oppressed is the way to liberation. And as a young teenager on probation with it, Uh, 1.0, that my ideas and what I'd seen on both sides of my family and in the streets of San Francisco were worthy um, stories to be told. Um, And so becoming a young organizer and a couple years later taking over as executive director of that very small organization at the time, it became clear to me that whatever I didn't learn in a classroom Um, The things that I had learned being out there as a kid in trouble, the things that I had learned from the powerful, amazing, resilient, beautiful women that had taught me, I could apply in that space and train other young women who were leaving prisons and jails to run our own institution, to create our own Highlander, to hire ourselves, to sit in front of philanthropists and government every day, to demand resources, to do what we knew was right, to keep girls out of systems. You know, 25 years later, that organization, because of those women, um, it has over $7 million budget and they have memberships of over 5,000 women, they are killing it. Um, and it let it continues to let me know that the folks closest to all the pain also have all of the truth um, to how to move through that pain, given the institution and the opportunity they'll move. So my journey, Brandy, you know, I, Kamala Harris, um, I don't care what you think about politics. I got to work underneath a woman who was the toughest boss, the best boss, the nurturer, the demander. She took me from my role at the center as executive director and hired me to do something that no DA had ever done, hire a Black woman who at that time had not finished college to be on her executive team to lead reentry initiatives. And I have never worked harder and I've never been more proud to work alongside a Black woman, as I had been to work with Kamala. She changed not only my life fundamentally, I believe she changed literally, it's been almost 20 years, the face of the criminal justice system in San Francisco, what we did with young men and women who were selling crack, getting them out of the system, getting them housing. um, That story is not told enough, but it taught me, despite what the right or the left believe about you, um, going into institutions and fundamentally changing them as a Black woman, no one will ever ever ring or sing your praises. It's about doing the work. So running for BART board some years later for me was about not wanting to seek power, but to simply be in a position where I knew, again, as a woman who was transit dependent, um, that if I did not step forward, someone else would tell our stories tried to push forth policies that they had no experience with in terms of the real lived material conditions. And so in many ways, um, the, the cost of being on this earth. Um, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer said, righteousness makes an exalted nation. Um, and I believe that, that I, I don't ha- unfortunately have a choice but not to serve because of Ella, Ella Hill, because of Betty Simon, um, because of the women right now in our communities who sleep in tents and deserve, deserve women who have a little bit more breath in their bodies. Uh, to to be telling their stories, but also writing legislation, um, to be making community where it is uncomfortable. Um, That's that's my journey, and I want to be on it for the rest of my life, and I'm so blessed that I can be. Oh, so you all just know that I don't know about those who are watching, but I have chills. Um, And the one thing that's really coming to mind for me is the audacity. The audacity of those women who saw that leadership in you and brought you along in this journey, the audacity of each and every one of you to say that I have something to have, like that audaciousness is so beautiful um, and so inspiring and so needed. 
Um, but we also know it's also not welcome, particularly when that audaciousness is bodied, um, is embodied in, uh, in the physical being of a black woman um, and entering in a space where we don't always, we're probably one of few, if not the only, and are not always seeing those that look like us. So I wanna just um, ask a question that, you know, stepping into and carrying forth with you um, all of that has been poured into you. Um, and because we have this unique opportunity today to have both um, electeds and those who are seeking election on this panel, um, I would just wanna ask for those um, who are elected um, to share something that really surprised you as you stepped into office and for the candidates to share a little something about um, the campaign process that has been really surprising to you um, on this journey. And anyone can start us off. You wanna go first, Courtney? You're fresh in, right right, right in it. And it's been a, a, just a, just about three months of, of surprises. That is absolutely correct. I think um, for, for my specific role is the biggest surprise was just so much of the orientation piece you just need on the city administration information. People just think, you know, you're showing up to meetings, you're wheeling and dealing, you're doing the policy and, and all of that. And it's like, no, there's a lot of studying you have to do just about the legalities, the just, you know, the Brown Act, all of that type of stuff, understanding what is expected of you just from an administration standpoint and making sure you're not missing any deadlines, all of that stuff. It's it's more administration really in the beginning than a lot of folks realize. It's, you know, people like to say, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to jump in. I'm just going to go, you know, right to making the policies. I'm going to, you know, start, you know, taking names and, and all of that. And it's like, no, you need to understand like just some of the basics of how your city is ran that maybe you didn't, you know, there's some parts of a, of being a resident that you understand about the the political process within your city from a resident's point of view. But once you're in the nitty gritty, there's a lot more legal and administrative stuff you need to know to understand to even get to that point. So I think just coming from just transitioning from resident to public official, that was the the biggest piece for me that was surprising was just like, this is a lot of studying to really understand all the administration work that goes into it. That's not just the city manager's job or, you know, just the city staff's job. No, it's your job to know that too. I would, I would agree. And I think that, um, you know, you run a race and I had a platform in my first campaign and you know, and it had all A's, accountability, accessibility, affordability, I'm going to do this. And, you know, our progressive politics are going to win the day. And then you get elected and then the, the clerk gives you your insurance documents. You get a key to the building. You figure out where you're going to sit. And then you're on your own for many of these positions where there are no staff. Um, there, you have no staff. You actually have to have another job and you have to figure out with your job how to come to these meetings. Not for all elected positions, but many of them that Black women enter transportation authorities, boards, uh, college board seats, city board seats. Um, these are not full-time jobs. And um, so I had to learn pretty quickly, although I'm an eMERGE graduate, which is a training program for women running for office, a democratic office, 
Um, there are so many things that um, sometimes, unless you're being taught by an elected, you, you're never going to foresee. And again, being that there are not a ton of Black women elected, our experience is very, very, very different. Um, what has uh, surprised me the most, although it has been excruciatingly difficult um, to, to move and to have success, and I do feel like I've had a lot of it um, in my five years in office, I've been very, very successful only, not because of the infrastructure that exists, but because of the Barbara Lees, because of the Freds. Fred called me the day after my first election. How can I help you? You know, <laughs> there are folks who are elected, non-elected, folks who just want to see us succeed, whether it's I know someone who's done something here or you should think about calling that person my consultant. A. Smith from Bearstar Strategies gave me information a long time ago in the beginning of my run, and I'm so glad I have. He said, folks will try to take you down for a $30 Uber ride. I need you to have the best accountant. Folks are not going to trust you with money. Racism is real in politics. These are the, the structures that we need to set up so we always turn in our Form 700, or there's no improprieties ever. If it's a bagel, a biscuit, you need to run your shop, even though it's just you, um, like they would not expect. They, meaning folks who may want you not to succeed, I told you so. We don't need someone like that representing a $2.5 billion institution. So what surprised me, again, was how difficult it is, but also the people who are willing to drop anything at, a, a, at any moment to help you, but also how willing folks are, even with that, to help you get through the darkest times, but most importantly, to help you win, because ideas don't become policy on their own, that you need, we need to understand all the different strategies and the ways that people have won good stuff for our folks. It just doesn't happen because it's the right thing to do. Alyssa, Jennifer, you want to speak to this around your experience being on the campaign? Thank y'all for that wisdom, for insight as two amazing elected officials doing great work in our community. Um, being on this campaign trail now for only around three, four months has yes, been shocking, surprising every day. Um, but I think one of the most is just kind of what Latifah was talking about, that so many people are willing to help, are willing to offer just by me putting myself out there that this is my goal, that this is my vision, that this is something that I'm working towards to, you know, I say close mouth, don't get fed, that just, you know, putting a post out, sending a text to someone, making phone calls. So many people have responded just with love and encouragement. They've offered things that I wasn't even asking them for, um, things that I didn't even know they maybe did or connections that they had. And so being a part of the community already and having folks know my drive and my commitment to anything I set myself to, just seeing that they are giving so much back to me by me just setting my intention. And that has been a bit shocking. You know, I, I to be honest, expected people to be like, you know, hold up or you should wait, you should think about these other things. But it's been just, again, so much affirmation and people offering what they can to push this forward. And that's so important to me as someone who's, you know, corporate free and who is trying to run a real grassroots campaign that's starting from the people up to the top. And so just being shocked at just how much love, encouragement, even people who just heard about it from a friend or saw a sign posted up who will then send me a message of encouragement or start following me personally. And so all of that just means 
means the world to me to be able to connect with more people around just our values and wanting Oakland to thrive and be successful. Yeah, I think this is so heartening. And Latifa, you said it well, Courtney, you said it well, like being in the appointed positions that I served in before getting on the campaign trail has been eye-opening to how much time you have to put in to serving. And the positions often are not paid or you get a $50 a month stipend for hours and hours and hours of committed work. And you have to do a lot of homework, a lot of research outside of your meetings, outside of the materials you might get for the meetings and the agenda and the specifics. There's a huge learning curve. Um, And on the campaign trail, uh, it feels like a more than full-time job to be running. And I think another um, piece that is so important for us as women, as Black women, you know, we are workers. None of us on this panel are connected to wealth as far as I know. We're not rich people. You know, we work. And in order to campaign for the for the race I'm running, I have to work full time as a candidate. And nothing I raise can go to my living expenses. So I have to also work. Thank God I can do some part time work here and there. You know, I'm about to start working as a home health nurse. That's a blessing. And I'm so happy I can do it. And also, like, it's so time consuming. I still have to be a mother to my children. I have a senior in high school who needs to get to college. And that's a time consuming affair. Like, you know, life still happens. That is a year. Oh, my God. (laughs) Right? (laughs) No, you know, you have one who's gone through that journey. Yeah, it it is a process. And, you know, like all of life continues and I give thanks that my parents are in good health, but, you know, add to it caregiving, add to it. If my kids were younger, childcare, the expenses, the time, this is, this is, these are the barriers that exist that are often invisible. And we have to have the ability to reform systems. You know, Audre Lorde said, you cannot destroy the master's house using the master's tools. And I agree with that. And I want to also add to it that while this is the system we are in and it's been created and, you know, fine tuned for hundreds of years, that we have to destroy it from the inside and the outside. And in order for us to really make a system that is going to work for Black people, for people of color, for those who are marginalized, we have to be in all the spaces and we have to pull each other up as we move forward so that we can do all of that. You know, we have to be abolitionists. We have to be corporate free. We have to have the best records. We have to do it better than everyone. 10 times faster, 10 times better, 10 times stronger, 10 times smarter, cleaner. Oh my God. And all of that in a day. And then the next day we have to do it again. And we have to continue this struggle. And we do it with grace. And we do it in a way that doesn't just lift up Black people, but lifts up our entire community. And Alisa, I so agree that the amount of support and the outpouring of love has been amazing. And we have communities that are doing so much work. You know, I I often say that in Berkeley and in Oakland, you know, we got the home of the Panthers here in Alameda County. And where I'm at in unincorporated San Leandro, People don't think about coming down here to raise their fist up and protest. But I'm like, what we're going to do is make it sexy to come to Hayward and stand up against school closures. 
We're going to make it sexy to come to Castro Valley and make sure that we talk about ethnic studies curriculum in the right ways. And we're going to make sure that we continue to build power because we are organizers first. And that is what leads us. And that is what's going to take us into making policy so that we can stand up for all the folks who need us to. Thank you so much. So Jennifer, you know what you, you really brought us this, um, this piece of, um, that we hear a lot, you know, and I just want to just to have to step back to just really appreciate you, Latifah, bringing in Fannie Lou Hamer. She is like one of my idols. Her story, I mean, I never, there's never a moment um, where I don't um, listen to her story and have so much pride and so much hurt and so many tears that flow because of what she's gone through and where we have come because of it. And, and, you know, and so I want to just really get to, and, and you speak to, and what you all are kind of speaking to is the support, the the needs, the no staffing, the working on top of work that we have to do. I really want us to spend a little time just, what are the, some of the unique challenges of being a Black woman in, you know, running for or in political office? Um, and really just speak to, like, what does that, you know, feel like, look like, um, the things you actually have to do and push against in order to advance the agenda that you are, or the mission and the vision that you have for your office and for your community. It's money. It's for sure money. Um, it's capital. It's social capital as well. It's knowing who to know. And if you don't know who you don't know, you don't know who you need to know to move forward in your pathway to leadership or public office so that's a that's a big challenge because um political circles can be very um exclusionary. They can be very hard to penetrate and that can be under the best of circumstances. So if you are a non-traditional candidate and when I say non-traditional I mean as in you're not typically a white man navigating through that system can be challenging, even in an area that is as diverse as ours, where it's not unheard of to have a Black woman elected in anything. It's, yeah, we have Black women elected, but how are they brought into the fold? And if you ask several of them, you'll say it wasn't that easy at first. I can't think of one person who would describe a Black woman elected who would describe their journey as breaking down political barriers as easy. So I think that's one big piece as moving forward as the the atmosphere that we're dealing with right now, where again, to my earlier point about just our social networks being depleted from migration, either by choice or by force, being able to politically organize the way we used to and having a strong Black voter base is also a challenge because where there were people where we know we could go to certain organizations to go and speak and gain support, not just from voters, but folks who want to help us organize with our campaigns, those organizations and those spaces have been depleted. So that's an additional challenge. Just the, the playing field is so different. So now you're going to have to step outside of just not just 
getting support from the Black community, you're going to have to step into other communities that you may not be familiar with already and also have to branch out to get that support. Also, just personally, a lot of Black women, we just do not have time. We're taking care of ourselves, our children, sometimes parents, and just finding the time to do one more thing which taking care of our communities or being active in our communities is challenging. So those are some some big challenges that I can think of just right off the bat. And Latifah, take it away. I'll, I'll say too, there are tons of challenges, but in some ways as I'm sitting here, we also need to have a conversation about all the opportunities because I, I think the challenges are real and the Bay Area is such a special place, but two challenges, and you talked about it, it's sort of generational wealth and social capital. I was running a race, my first race, and I was running, um, literally you know, making doing call time with another woman who was running for an office in another county. And um, I didn't have a list, right? My, I had my cell phone list and I was working on it for days and days and days before I got to hire my first staff person. And, um, you know, this white sister who's a deep ally, you know, she had a list. She went to Yale Law School. She had a list. It was, it was, it was, she had been building it and taught to build it for years. So her first big email announcing her race, a little different from mine um, in terms of the time that it took. And so um, having folks to give and deeply trust you, we all do that in our communities. But again, unfortunately, because we don't have, election finance reform. We all have to raise money. Every yard sign is a dollar. Every commercial is like 20,000. You're trying to reach a lot of people. Um, you can't knock on doors in the same ways that you've needed to knock on doors. So it takes a lot of time to galvanize um, a, a donor base to help you win, um, especially keeping your, uh, your, your politics and your, your, your morals at the core of how you get there. Um, and I believe in, in many ways, some folks who are running to win, it is very difficult to send back that $30,000 check. I, and being able to do that, I was able to do that because a lot of folks stepped up and said, we'll help you through a house party. We'll do this. Um, and I had been working for 26 years on the ground before I ran for office. And so while I, again, had that iPhone, there was a lot of contacts in there. You think about someone who's just coming out of grad school or just been organizing for a few years, it's a very different conversation of how they land um, a large campaign. And I think the, the second piece, um, you know, is it is really trust. Um, do people in community trust Black women to lead outside of Black places? Something that I'm, I'm, I'm deeply still thinking about. Um, we are second guessed consistently. But I think the way that we move through that, it is what it is. It is, and it will be what it will be. I decided in the midst of my second term to go back to grad school um, and get an MPA because there is nothing that we can't learn. There is nothing that we can't do. I need to learn how to ask for help a bit more and pick up the phone and take, Brandy says she'll babysit my baby anytime. I just, right, Brandy? I just need to be able to pick up the phone and admit that I'm exhausted and I need to sleep. So there are challenges that are external. There are also challenges that are internal. We have sisters in amazing growing community folks who are watching now. We have hopefully, you know, the philanthropic community from a C3 and C4 level who want to see us win because they know that there's no service organization that is alone going to change the policies to get people fed and educated and housed the way that we can together. There is a clear understanding that the Barbara Lees are right on this screen, that the Kamala's, that the 
again, um, the bronze, the, the next Supreme Court justices, we're, there, there are members, there are teachers, there are mentors. So as many challenges, I do feel like there are more opportunities that just need to be galvanized and glued together. I will say that there is still so much room for first. We are in 2022. Today is 2222. I don't know what people are doing for the two day on Tuesday, but you know, people keep on saying it. So, you know, I am a black masculine presenting gay woman who is also Jewish and I am running for state office, which means so much about Courtney. I think you said it representation that is geographical representation that goes beyond gender representation that goes beyond all sorts of things. And Ultimately, it's about values. And when we uplift Black women, when we uplift women of color, when we uplift people who traditionally have not had access to these spaces, because these spaces were built to keep us in bondage, we change everything. And I am thrilled that we are breaking down barriers. 34 years, Courtney. 23 years after Barbara Lee. Alisa, first Black woman, potentially. Latifah, you following the footsteps of giants, Ella Hill Hutch. We have the opportunity to do so much. And clearly, it takes decades for us to get back at it. We have to break out, Black space or not. We are women who are strong and powerful, resilient, and, you know, we are able to do it. And it takes a lot of support. It takes all of us, the big community, the small community, and definitely the networks. Um, all y'all just said a lot. And I feel like I'm experiencing or have experienced all those challenges, especially as someone currently seeking office. Um, I mean, we talked about Oakland, you know, is the home of where the Black Panthers was founded, a few blocks from where I grew up on 58th and Shattuck, actually. But even with having such a strong tradition and history of Black liberation, Black organizing, and Black Black folks trying to elevate our community here. We've never had a Black woman ever elected as our city's mayor. And those things still seem like, oh, we're not ready yet, right? There's people telling me, y'all, you need to sit down or you should wait or you should let other people who are not Black women go ahead for this election. But the same thing was said to the two Black women who are my elders who ran in the last cycle, right? So I already know that just waiting is not going to actually change the issue with people accepting and investing and allowing Black women to lead. We know what our communities need and often are shut out of all rooms of power, are not given mics to speak about our experiences or about what other folks need to do to allow us to serve and to lead the way that we're asking to, even sometimes in our own Black organizations. Um, so there's still always work to do. And part of running, we have to confront those narratives. We have to confront people's assumptions about us. We have to confront even issues within the Black community. And I really love that Courtney brought up, like our community as a whole is still being unequally pushed out of jobs or of housing or of opportunities in our city. So our base, people who may want to see someone who look like us, people who would be the first to support us, to fundraise or volunteer for us, are also struggling and are suffering in a way that they are not allowed to participate fully in civic engagement in the voter process. In Oakland, particularly 70% of the people unhoused living in tent and curbside communities are Black. That's not by actions, by design. 
And that design makes it hard for those folks to exercise their rights to vote in a practical way, even though many of them are lifelong residents. So our community is harmed and our political power is crippled when it comes to electoral politics. And so we absolutely have to talk to other communities. And, you know, sadly, even like consultants or people will tell me to not focus on my community, on people that look like me, just focus on the voters who tend to be white homeowners who, you know, have all the things that they need and are stable enough. And I'm still want to reach out to folks that I'm trying to serve and bring into our democratic process. So those are Definitely challenges I'm still working through and uh, appreciate all of y'all who have shared your wisdom or thoughts or who've given me just some skills or examples of how to address that. Thank you so much. I want to, um, I'm just like really taking in so much of your, you know, all of your journey. I want to take a moment because I see that the YouTube chat is like very active. And so thank you all for just keeping this very active. I'm trying not to just be a participant in the conversation and like really wanting to chime into all the good um, feedback that's coming up in the chat, but I also want to just encourage the audience, if you have direct questions for the panel or myself, please put them also in that YouTube chat and we can bring them into the conversation. Um, I do want to just kind of, um, as we begin to get, um, wrap up and come close to, to direct audience um, questions, you know, Fred mentioned um, earlier that we at the foundation um, are launching an initiative, Women of Color, Women of Power. Um, and this is, you know, a journey that we are, you know, we've been on and we've been talking about for some time and we've been in spaces and we have a leader that believes in um, women of color leadership. Um, you know, Latifah, you spoke to your specific example of getting that direct call um, and this program being led by four dynamic um, women of color in the foundation. And I think it's important that I just say here that this is not one of just looking at how do we build and support women of color, um, black women outside, but also we're taking that lens internally as well, um, which is really important. So I would ask, you know, that question of how do you, um, or how can you share, can you share some examples of really good authentic support that you've experienced on your journey that others who are wanting to be involved, wanting to know how to reach out to support you, um, to support your platform, also to support the movement, right? You say you want to pass legislation, it has to get operationalized. It has to be, you know, um, enacted and in, in, in practice. And how do we get behind that? And so I would love it if you have some examples through your, um, you know, your place as an elected or already in public office or for those who are on the campaign trail, of like some good examples of support um, for you on this process and on this journey. In the darkest of times, because there will be, whether it's the hate mail, sometimes the death threats, especially if you're doing work around dismantling systems, people don't like that, who don't like that. Uh, it gets really scary. And you're like, what am I doing? You know, to your point, Jennifer, like, what? I, I, I know this is the right thing to do, but being tested, it is when you get a call sometimes of folks who are like, I got you. And no matter what that I got you is, that's not a tangible necessarily, but what is, I think is extremely important. And I'm hoping that this, the foundation um, can, can encourage us to meet more, to not just talk about that. Yes, everybody needs administrative help. Easy. You know, you, now you can pay for childcare because of some great people in the legislature who've made it real when you're running for office. Now that's a, uh, a legal expense. There are there are there should be sort of black feminist or just, just ways in which we make running and serving a bit easier. Um, but one of the things that I think is an, is extremely important for folks watching, and I'm going to 
tell a little bit of family business, we don't have the luxury, and I'm learning this through the coaching that I'm getting, and I've been faulty on this, to divide ourselves um, within the umbrella in which we want to serve that different institutions will pit Black women against one another, knowing that we are all burying our children in this city alone. We lost over 100 within 12 months. That in itself, fratricide, mounted with oppression and poverty and deep disease, um, no endorsement will fill our communities with what we deserve and we need. I, I think electoral politics can has the opportunity potentially to break up deep, wonderful souls that our grandmothers and our aunties and uncles built in the Bay Area for a long time amongst us. There's not many of us who get this opportunity to work full-time for our people. So as we decide, decide to take on positions of power, I am learning to be wary of other forces taking us apart. And it typically involves a, a check or an endorsement or who is not radical enough. Our grandmothers were more radical than all of us. So let's just say that, right? But I, I think that there's political wisdom in the stories of elders that will tell us what we're experiencing now in electoral politics all over the country with Black women is both new and very old. Um, and how can, as women of color, not just Black diasporic women, um, we continuously figure out how to set up circle, both pragmatic circles of study, of, of coming together on policy ideas, but really to ensure that we're healed every single time we sit at a dais and that we are unaffected by those deep evil forces that don't have our people's best interest at mind. I don't think I have anything else to say on the panel because I was like, should I say that? Should I say that? But yes. There are, even within democratic circles, within labor circles, within donor circles, um, whether it's organized or not, um, we can actually create opportunities to be stronger together, to be stronger together. Because at the end of the day, it'll be that kid on 96 and Bancroft who needs us more than any of these forces that are trying to separate us or figure out who's more radical or who's more central. We are all trying to make sure that our babies live. Mm. Mm. Latifah, I'm gonna have you start going last. Um, so. <laughs> Cause every time you come in, you drop my, you might, you just drop the mic and I'm like, that part, and then we can go ahead yeah. and conclude. Um, yeah, anyone else? <laughs> just thank you um, for really bringing in that reel because that's the you know that's the part that, like you said, you're going to air some laundry, but it's 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 important for us to do that um, because we have those who are coming up behind us, and we don't want to romanticize the process. Um, we want to be really clear on what what we will be um, showing and modeling for others to come behind like really understanding what it takes to do um, what you all are doing. Um, so yeah, if anyone want to go in and answer that question of um, some really good examples of how folks can support you on your journey in public office and on your way. Yeah, I appreciate that, Latifah. I think it is the soul that needs to be nourished on the way. I think what I feel so often it's like, oh, I'm so excited. I got this endorsement and that endorsement. That lasts about three seconds. It's like hitting the crack pipe. That is over and done. And we have to really move on. And 
you know, not to, I'm not trying to make light of anybody's uh, issues oh, around course, substance use. Yeah. And it is so difficult to be on this journey because it is a lonely one to be constantly trying to encourage people to understand that it's not just me, it's my values, but it is me. It's my name. I need you to check the box with my name on it. Healthcare is on the ballot. I'm a registered nurse. Like, let's keep it real. We on the third year of a pandemic, we have all been struggling. It is a global issue. And I am still trying to make sure that people understand how important it is that we rise up together through this because we're all in it together. It's not about whether or not you wear a mask, or I wear a mask. It's about all of us protecting one another. And that to me is what this journey is about this political piece, it's about elevating uh, humanity, elevating principles upon which we all rise. And for me, what I know I need, I mean, yes, fundraising, yes, endorsements, yes, all of that, because we are within this capitalist structure that every mailer costs 50 cents or you know, every, every boost on social media has a price tag. So that's real, that's tangible. My heart, is sometimes so heavy. And when I need to spend time with my family, it's like we got three hours on a Friday night and the rest is it. So I don't know if anybody can give me some extra hours in a day. I'll take that magic. <laughs> and if you can't give me some extra hours in a day, come through and help me answer some questions on this endorsement questionnaire. Come through and help me knock on some doors on Saturdays because we need to hit 100,000 doors. Come through and you know help me do all the things that make people feel full in the community. Let us stop these schools from closing because it's not going to be one of us who prevents this stuff from happening. It's going to be all of us. And I think it is the community coming together to benefit the community that is going to make it happen. Thank you, Jennifer. As we, as Courtney, uh, right before you chime in, just know we have about two minutes in this discussion before we open up to questions. Please um, put your questions in the chat and we will um, get to them in just a moment. I would say... The big need is just around strategic and deliberate inclusion of Black women in spaces outside of where we can just get used for our labor. Because I think that's the big focus is Black women, when it comes time to show up to do some work, it's, yes, come through, girl. Oh, we're here. Yes, that the, we get used for our labor. But when it's time to uplift us for opportunities, sometimes people go silent. So since deliberate exclusion is the default, as we all know, and we're moving away from that slowly but surely, but not as fast as we need to, bring Black women into a space where you know there are opportunities for her to grow and uplift her. Mention her name in rooms of opportunities where she might not be. Ask her what she needs to show up to be her best self, because that's a big piece as well, where we, so much is expected of us and people see this big bright light and they see that we have all these leadership skills, but no one really asks, what do you need for you to show up as your best self for the, to make this worth, worth your while, not just the communities. Is this going to serve you personally the way it needs to? And being unapologetic about that, saying it's okay for something to serve you as well as the community. It's okay for you to center yourself. Those questions aren't really asked to Black women on our journeys a lot of time, even though we're encouraged to be the best, to do the best, you know, put forth the labor. Also, this 
this underlining conversation that happens that somehow Black women are not as qualified, underqualified, unqualified, that question always comes up. And thinking that deliberately making space for Black women to grow and succeed is somehow taking away from someone who's more qualified. Doing away with that stereotype is something that really needs to just they need to cut that out right now because we've already heard that conversation with the Supreme Court justice conversation about, oh, well, are we sure these Black women are qualified? Yeah. Are we sure anybody else was qualified? Because I haven't heard. There was a lot of unqualified, underqualified folks that got passed right along through. But now there's no way possible there's more than one overqualified black woman to sit on the highest court in the land impossible like don't let's not do that so you know making sure that you're bringing black women into spaces for opportunities for growth asking what they need so they can show up and be their best selves asking what they need to for it to be beneficial for them and doing away with the stereotypes that making space for us means that you're not making space for a qualified individual. Echo what all of my sisters said on this panel about what we need and what types of support. Definitely for me personally, if y'all have any opportunities, rooms I can be a part of, things, platforms of your own. A lot of folks have, you know, had me on uh, their socials or their podcast. Um, if you have skills or other things to offer in terms that could help us push out our message, um, even just a text of, hey, I see what you're doing, you know, keep going, you know, hey, I liked your graphic, or just to know that people are even reading or looking at the things that I'm spending a lot of time and energy trying to put out, um, signing up for our mailing list, we're going to be putting um, our personal contacts in the chat, please contact us, again, get plugged in, get activated, if you have other people to put us in touch with, and just be a bridge to that relationship, all of those things is so supportive and is going to help move us forward and help ensure that Black women are able to keep accessing the leadership positions that we are seeking and that we're trying to build a path for others. Thank you. I have a question and, uh, you know, I don't know, Lutifa, you kind of brought this up a moment ago and I want to bring this into the conversation real quick. You talked about, you know, those partners who are supporting, you know, through C3 and C4. And particularly, um, and someone else, and you also spoke to those who like those things that can sometimes build bridges and also can tear apart um, communities. And sometimes that can be a check. So I'm not specifically, you know, um, coming from the San Francisco Foundation and knowing our um, our bold vision around racial equity and economic inclusion, and really lifting up the le- the leadership um, on this stage, and for those who um, people of color and women of color, particularly in the Bay Area. Um, what are some of the ways that philanthropy you see either through examples that philanthropy yeah. has done well um, yeah. or ways in which we can do more? Um, and I really, mean, yeah. I think that you guys, you know, San Francisco Foundation has hosted a number of conversations with electeds of color, of women of color in the last year that has actually been really amazing. I can't wait till we can do more. Um, I imagine like, you know, being in a beautiful place for a couple of days, a beautiful place um, <laughs> with good food, with, with folks talking about, it's not necessarily about training, really, it is developing a community. You know, after one of those conversations that we had, um, you know, council member 
Carol Fife called me and she said, let's actually set up a formal meeting with my office and your office. And I want, you know, she's a super powerful, very clear leader. I want not a conversation. I want stats and PowerPoints because if we're going to do police reform and you guys have been pushing a lot on the BART side, um, we actually really want to share how we do it very practically. And I thought I was like, well, wow, we would have had a number of conversations about this, but if it were not for the charge to let's get stuff done together, let's share, let's actually share the tools, share our staff, be in conversation, create formal alliances with our our teams. Um, That was, I mean, I've done a lot of work with electives, but that was one of the first times where I felt like everything almost proprietary that we have developed in terms of our own strategy Here's a sister who is one of one of the best leaders we've seen in so long who, like me, came in and and she knows it's super hard to make deep structural change in one or two years. She's saying, give me what you have. Talk about how difficult it was to create an ambassador program and how difficult it was working with all the unions, the good ones and the ones that we're struggling with. Um, Give me exactly uh, sort of, you know, how crime has decreased because of these actions. I think it's being having more spaces like that, Brandy. I feel like there's there's building trusting communities, which you guys are doing that that creates that or else, you know, we're doing things in ways um, in, in a white supremacist culture that tells us that we just need to be having quick calls while we're running to get a muffin to go to our next meeting, like really creating and developing a permission to be together um, and to bring in some of the sort of the, you know, I think best thought leaders around issues um, that we're all knocking our heads around with. There are global leaders in different contexts who are really deeply thinking about street communities in the United States and meaning like, you know, Ho Chi Minh, they've struggled with tent cities as well. We, as the best leaders in in the Bay Area, women of color, I believe we are, um, having having access to folks who are not right at our back doors, folks who are in university, folks who, you know, who are think tanking all day, who, again, we're with our ideas. um, And sometimes we need to be joining forces with folks who their very work is to help legislatures, uh, legislative bodies on the ground, whether it be in a small special district, a small city, um, or, you know, running on the state floor, you know, some, what, what um, my sister here is doing. So I think that, those opportunities would be great and really welcomed and doing it the way that we need them to be done. Again, incorporating family and the realities of of what we're doing and having teaching and learning opportunities. I'm excited about that. I love that. I think you just articulated the social network and the social capital and the sharing of spaces and collaboration in a way that is more than just fluffy. And like you said, over a muffin while running to the next meeting, really making time and space for generous sharing from experts. You know, we talk about subject matter experts, the think tanks, and how often do we have access to that? Like, as someone who's newly in an appointment, like I have reached out to people in high levels of leadership. Sometimes I get responded to, sometimes I don't, but it's always with genuine curiosity about how to implement the best policies, how to bring forward the best ideas together so that we can improve the systems upon which we've been entrusted to work and to serve. Like we swear oaths when we take these offices, whether they're appointed, whether we're elected. And in order to do the best job, I think you're spot on Latifa. We have to do the work 
in combination. And we have to do it with the best that our world has to offer. You know, we, we live in a global society today. Everybody can learn from everybody. I love that. And I think foundations have a unique um, access to this kind of capital, uh, intellectual property, intellectual capital, and people who can make things happen. I would say I think philanthropy can be a little bit more flexible than us who are on the political side. Um, they can make the decision that within their strategic plan that they're going to focus on all types of different categories of equity, racial equity, socioeconomic equity, and they can make that a part of their platform pretty quickly and then develop their campaigns around that. So I just think that philanthropy has that flexibility sometimes we don't always have in in politics. So I think moving forward, that's going to be a big driving force. Organizations, foundations that are able to quickly pivot to the needs of the community. And sometimes it's the electeds that have to catch up. I uh, have much to add, but we'll just say, you know, philanthropy has done great work in helping to really educate or activate the community around the actual issues, aside from the politics or politicians can help even push, you know, the electeds to do something that they're supposed to do. I'm reminded of the California Endowment, which uh, has headquarters here in Oakland, but they had put out kind of um, billboards and public information around the health disparities in our community based on zip codes that, you know, there's 10 year less life expectancy for people living in deep East Oakland versus those in downtown and North Oakland. And so just having that information from, you know, a study that they helped to commission and work they're doing is pushing, you know, questions, pushing then policy around what, why, how in the same city do people have this extreme disparity and inequity in their life expectancy based on our health conditions here. So I just think philanthropy has done and is doing a lot of great work to activate and to educate the public. Yeah, thank you so much, so much, so much just for being really clear about where so philanthropy. And one, one of the things I always think about when I answer philanthropy, and I've only been in this sector for about four and a half years, um, and, you know, it's one of the things that I think you have to get comfortable with. I can't, what you know, um, what have you said? Like, we didn't, you didn't step into this space to go and like, I want to just take up the power. I wasn't seeking power. But what you have exemplified on this in your talk today was that when you step into a place of power, in a position of power, the responsibility, right, that you hold with that power and to leverage that power to move your communities. And so, you know, it really just, and what you, when you said that call to philanthropy is, how do you not hold your power, right? But to then to shift power where it belongs and to leverage the power you have to make the difference. And, you know, I, I really, I'm really thankful to have um, a set of colleagues that I work with, and that's the conversations we have on a regular basis to where we push ourselves, right, to the place to so we can have these type of conversations um, and be bold about it and to be open to um the advice you're giving and the push you're giving for philanthropy to step up and use our platforms to continue to move the agendas that you have taken the pathway to hold public office and to move from your um, vantage point. Um, so I did not see any questions come up, but I am seeing so much. And I take that is because you all have covered so much and have like hit every point that has spoke authentically, it was really hard to get to it. Like, give me a specific Black woman. And you can't really ask that when you have a plan of Black women. I'm just going to be saying, because we, we we show up, right? <laughs> We're not, you, we don't take that off. We show up in that everywhere. And so it's just been a very authentic 
um, in real conversation. And so I want to come back to um, one question I would love for you to have just really briefly is, um, you know, one of the things, the, the Women of Color, Women of Power program that we're launching at the foundation is we're around building this bench. Um, we do have, and um, Alyssa, you talked about this, like being able to lead at any age, right? You had the spaces to continue to grow your leadership along the way um, in, in the city of Oakland where you were born. And that's just a really amazing space. So what advice would you give to another young Black woman coming up on this journey? If you were to just, if you had a few a, a moment, you know, that elevator pitch of like, what advice would you give? to those who are coming and following in the trails that you all are blazing. Again, I was activated and empowered at such a young age that's carried me to this moment right now, to this campaign right now. I would say to younger people who are, you know, pursuing any type of goal or even trying to just get into school, that's, you know, to trust yourself, to trust your goal and your purpose and why you're doing it, to stay grounded in that, no matter you know how much negativity or people might question you, to be sure of yourself and that you don't need permission to lead. Right? It may be elders, maybe people in your own community that tell you you're too young to do something, but again, we can always learn and our young people are ready to lead and many of them know exactly um, what they need to be successful if adults or older folks will listen to them. Um, out in Oakland, I've been particularly visiting a lot of high school students in classrooms and people are like, well, what are you, you know, what are the students talking about? And I said the exact same thing that everyone else is talking about. They're talking about public safety. They're talking about economic opportunity. A lot of them work and many students in Oakland choose to go to work versus school because they are trying to provide and support their families or support themselves. We have a lot of homeless youth here. They're worried about housing. They're worried about their families. They're worried about COVID and the pandemic. They are experiencing all of the same issues as us and they will inherit all the decisions that we're making as elected leaders. So youth should always be at the table and should never be afraid to speak about what they need and don't need permission to lead on that. I got some really good advice from Barbara. Actually, we, uh, Congresswoman Lee, we were together on a panel with younger women asking this very same question. And she said something I didn't think she would say. I thought that like every woman who's elected in office, they're going to tell every young woman to run for office. She said the opposite. She said, do something first, like open up a preschool, clean up a park, start an organization, like prove to the community of people that you want to serve, that they can trust you. She said, we don't need, and I was like, wow. Cause like in a lot of our training, it's like, go, go run, run, do it. She talked about the need of, of, of real deep servant leadership within community. She said, babysitting kids is oftentimes the biggest blessing that, um, that, that someone can do for a working mother on a Saturday or giving, um, uh, 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 I'm giving a nurse who has kids a nap, you know, when she gets home, this idea of deep, deep servitude and it, and, and, and power, um, and decision-making in, in terms of, um, whether it's public or private in community, it comes from test. And we all know, I think I'll stop here, but you don't really have a testimony unless you've been tested. And that could, that doesn't mean elected office. Oftentimes it means struggling for life, your liberty and your own freedom and that of your community. So yeah, Barbara is telling us to do something, create something, be a part of something, follow before you seek to lead. I love that. I love that. I think um, in addition to that, like your test 
and your age do not necessarily equal the same thing. Many of us are tested at very young ages. And so when you feel moved, it might be the right moment. Like you're good enough right now in the place that you are in. And one of the best things that can be done is to reach out to women who are in the position that you want to be in. That's right. Men who are in the position that you want to be in, because sometimes it's the first. So, you know, reach out to the people so that you can establish a relationship with them, because a lot of times people will give you advice. They will be very um, pleased to know that you want to do what they are doing and they are willing to share. Sometimes folks do, you know, hold their cards to their chest and they won't share. They say, I already have a mentee. Take that and keep moving forward because there, you know, we don't have to have a scarcity mindset. There is plenty, there is enough, and our democracy says that we deserve a choice. So step in and get the help you need. I also did the Emerge training. Elisa and I met at Emerge training. Courtney, aren't you our Emerge sister too? Hey, this is what Black women look like. We look like folks who learn, who educate, who train, because we want the skills and it's there for us. So all we have to do is step in and know that you will be received and you will be loved through because the more of us that move into these places, the more of us have the opportunity to give back. And that's what we are doing the whole time. So yeah, I love that. Serve first and also step in so that you can get what you need to be the best servant. You sounded like a rabbi to me. (laughs) I (laughs) should. I think the the one piece I can add is just don't be afraid to step in and step up when you see something needs to be addressed in your community. I think a lot of times children and young people think that their discernment isn't as accurate because they're young. And I would argue the opposite. Children actually see things very clearly. They're very astute. They're very observant. And I think sometimes as we grow older, our our thoughts can become clouded. We can bring um, different issues and project different things onto different scenarios, things that aren't there. But I feel like children are able to see the world very clearly. And that is a gift. And as the, you know, I guess, are we elders now? I don't know. When when does the age of elders start? I'm going to be 35, so I'll just, I'll claim it now. As elders and, <laughs> and parents, it is our job to let children observe and let them speak and, and hear them and converse with them, bring them into the fold, because like uh, Alyssa has said she was brought into the fold very young and look at her now like you your children are the children are watching us but as far as us encouraging them feel free to speak your mind if you what you are observing even if it's not maybe 100% correct speak up and say what you're seeing if you're seeing an issue do not be afraid to get involved I spoke at my high school now I think that was three years ago I told them if they want to get involved on an issue and the adults around them tell them you know no, they don't want to encourage them to organize or be involved. Honey, find another adult. 
because I feel like that is a gift as the people who are eventually going to get older, we are going to be dependent on these young people to put, you know, push forth the movement and keep the, the, the power going, the momentum going. So I, I feel that young people should feel free to be confident in what they're observing, be confident in their ideas and always be encouraged to, to step into their moment and step into their power. Thank you so much. I know we can really, I can spend, I can speak for myself. I know I can spend a lot more time in conversation with you all. Um, this has just been very dynamic and really just uplifting. And what really hit me a lot was like, do something, you know, um, I have the philosophy that, you know, my purpose in this world has to live beyond my job. I love the work I do at the San Francisco Foundation, but if that was, that is not going to fulfill my divine purpose. And so um, as much time as it takes, as much time as I enter into this work, you all have given me a charge to continue to do something, to go out in my community and do something. So thank you so much um, for today. I want to, I know we're right at closing and my closing will be very short, but I have to ask a lightning round question. This got to be quick. So this is going to show me, you know, how you are on your chops. If you were to get Amy one song, this is, we have black history. So, you know, I'm going to end, I'm going to start with culture. We talked about saying culture, but I'm going to end with culture. One song that will really just embody your leadership to share that. Rising up, sweet honey in the rock. What's going on, Marvin Gaye? Respect, Aretha Franklin. It's really like Kendrick Lamar, we're going to be all right vibes in my mind right now. <laughs> That's how I'm feeling. Black History Month, you know. I know we will be with Black women at the helm. Yes. Thank you so much. Oh, listen, that yeah, that really touched me there. We are definitely going to be all right. Um, again, I just want to thank each and every one of you on the panel for your time. Thank you, everyone in the audience, for being with us on this amazing day, amazing conversation um, with just dynamic and audacious leaders. Um, again, Latifa Simon, Courtney Welsh, Jennifer Asin, and Alyssa Victory. Thank you so much. I look forward to continuing to watch your leadership and to see the amazing things and changes you'll make for us in the Bay Area. The San Francisco Foundation and its lead donors are pleased to support this program. And again, I'm Brandy Howard, and this is a Commonwealth program, and it is now adjourned. Thank you. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support.